Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in. There is a lot coming today for agriculture. Folks, if you are in the eastern Corn Belt, stay weather aware today. That line of severe weather still firing along the Mississippi River looks to push east as we get deeper into Wednesday. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk first with Dr. Chad Hart of Iowa State University about Argentina's recently reintroduced soy dollar program. Before segment two, we're going to get into it with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association because it is the first Wednesday of April, which means it's time for the monthly grind. We'll dig into what corn demand looks like around the world before segment three. Dr. Pat Westhoff of FAPRI at the University of Missouri will be joining us. We're going to look at that 10-year projection they released late last week for agriculture. And then finally, we're going to close the show with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Last week, we saw the Hogs and Pigs report come out, and Dennis has been digging into those numbers. Before we get to all of that, however, let's turn our focus down to South America. Dr. Chad Hart, extension economist at Iowa State University, joins us now. And Chad, Argentina is bringing back this soy dollar. We saw it introduced last fall in that country. And what does this program mean for farmers in Argentina or for exporters in Argentina? Well, what it's trying to do is promote exports in Argentina. So it's giving them a, a better exchange rate, which should make, you know, making sales more attractive as we look out there. And you can think of it as it's the government's way of trying to bring foreign currency into the country at a time when they need it. Okay, because Argentina has had that need for foreign currency. And Chad, what is it about that country that makes them reliant on on currency from other nations? Well, the biggest challenge they're facing right now is they have rampant inflation and they're dealing with concerns about recession as they look down there. Sort of, you know, similar to us, but if you will, on steroids as far as the economic challenges that they're facing. And along with that, they're trying to repay some international loans. And that's where the foreign currency comes in handy. All right, so they've got these. They've got this con- exchange rate out there. It's designed to help promote exports, and it's exports of soybeans. They're calling it the soy dollar, Chad, or is it all eggs exports that are going to get this bonus? Well, it's mainly on soybeans and soybean products. You can think of this as not only the beans themselves, but the meal and oil, because that is the main export that Argentina has is soybean and soybean products. All right. And that is where we've seen the market grow concerned over this winter. I think back to December, Dr. Hart, when we saw the price of soybean meal explode on the backs of this Argentinian drought. So I guess my question to you is, does the trade think that Argentina is going to have enough beans through one way or another to meet their meal commitments? Well, I'd say the market is is trying to figure out how Argentina will get enough beans to meet their requirements there, whether they grow them themselves or will they import as they have in the past to meet that crush demand. And when you're thinking about who they'd import from, I've got to imagine their first guess would be their neighbor in Brazil or Paraguay. Yeah, first guess would be there. But if they have to reach further, they will. If you think back to, say, 2018, we actually saw Argentina pull in some beans from the U.S., 
Okay, so they've certainly reached this far north before. Chad, what have we seen so far for Argentina's bean imports? Does it look like they're starting to secure those supplies now that harvest is moving along? Uh, that's a big question right now. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen it in the data I've looked at thus far, but I've got to believe that they may be purchasing some, as you say, especially closer to home as they look at the Brazilian soybean crop, which does look like a whopper this year. All right. I, I want to bring the focus back to inflation. Dr. Harder, we're all, I think, uh, learning about inflation on the fly here in 2022 and 2023. Argentina, you mentioned tremendous inflation. This soy dollar is going to effectively pump more pesos into the economy, wouldn't it? Would that then worsen the inflation situation in Argentina? It, it does do that. You can think of it as it's doing both good things for the economy and bad things for the economy. The bad is, yes, it's pumping more pesos in there, adding to the inflationary concerns. At the same time, again, it's bringing that foreign currency into the central government there and making sure that they can um, carry forward on their international commitments. And that's what it's all about. They've got to meet those demands from the international lenders. How long do we expect this program to be in place in Argentina? Chad, as I think back to the fall, if I recall, it was a 30-day export bonus for these for the soy dollar. Do they have an endpoint on this most recent announcement? I have not seen an end date yet, but yeah, the idea would be that they hope to do this in the short term, as they've done in, you know, throughout the fall. We saw them do this for about a month at a time, then settle back down for a few months and then bring it back on again. I'm expecting that same sort of pattern here. All right, Chad, I know you talk to a lot of growers across the Corn Belt up here in the Midwest. As you look out to this year ahead, as you talk to growers across Iowa, USDA reporting soybean acres flat. Does that uh, jive with what you've been uh, hearing from the countryside? Well, I got to admit, it, it, it does jive with what I heard in the countryside. I was a little bit surprised um, just to see that because I was expecting a few more acres but I was also expecting them from further south than, than Iowa here. I was looking especially at Arkansas and Mississippi as an area for growth, given the strong yields that they had last year. Jed, that's a great point. We had strong yields in the south. We also are seeing much less competition from cotton ground, as that uh, commodity has certainly fallen off a cliff here in the markets. And uh, so, yeah, do you think we, we could end up seeing more beans come in if the weather doesn't cooperate here at planting time? Well, that's the deal. I'm watching, I'm watching the weather commitments here because, yeah, typically we see corn give up a little land and beans gain a little land if we do have some planting delays out there. That's what it's all about. Looking out on the global export stage, uh, bringing it back to Argentina, Dr. Hart, if this export program works and the Argentinians are able to start increasing the flow of their meal, uh, what's the downside target here in this meal market? That would be a pretty bearish factor on price, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be a bearish factor on price, you know, especially here. The question is, where would they have to pull those beans from if they do need to reach outside their country? If we do see some additional demand from that, that helps mitigate some of that concern. All right, folks, keep an eye on what is happening down in South America. Chad, let's look a little long term here before we let you go. That inflation concern in Argentina, those massive yields down in Brazil as they gear up for the 2023 planting season this fall. Do you think we're going to continue to see growth in acres in South America? Oh, I think we will. You know, the idea is, especially as you're looking at Brazil, they have been growing by leaps and bounds, especially here over the past five years. I do expect that to continue. They are fine that they're finding homes for, for that increased production, and that's incentivizing even more growth. 
All right, folks, the global agriculture trade is going to continue to shuffle, watching geopolitical interest and weather events around the world. Our thanks to Dr. Chad Hart here, extension economist at Iowa State University. Dr. Hart, always appreciate your insight on these matters in the commodity markets. My pleasure to be with you, Mike. And folks, we did have one other piece of news out of Europe. The Polish ag minister has resigned. We've talked about the discussions in that country from the Ukrainian imports moving into Poland. European Commission says they're not going to stop those duty-free imports. And the Polish ag minister has said, well, if they're not going to help the Poles, I'm going to resign. And that was the end of that right there. Stay with us. We'll be talking corn with the monthly grind here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund 
We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. As I mentioned, it is the first Wednesday of the month of April, which means it is time to check in for the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, we're going to be talking with Sarah McKay. She's the director of the market development team. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And we also have Denny Vinacotter. He serves as the vice chair of the market development action team there at NCGA. And Denny, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, we'd like to talk about on the monthly grind where that corn goes after it comes off the farm and how can we grow new uses for that corn. And Sarah, sometimes when we get into exploring new uses, we've got to learn some new phrases. And the one that I'm curious about is the circular bioeconomy. What in the world does that mean? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, um, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that includes corn, algae, soy, wood chips, um, sugar cane, you name it. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy, think biomass, think corn. Um, and then when we talk about circular bioeconomy, that takes it one step further um, and is essentially just a framework for using these renewable um, carbon sources to, to manage our supply chains with the goal of achieving overall sustainability. Okay. All right. I think I get that, Sarah. Denny, I'm going to throw this to you worded a slightly different way. And you tell me if you agree with it. Circular bioeconomy from the farmer perspective, it's like us running our livestock, getting the manure, putting the manure on the corn, harvesting the corn, feeding the corn back to the livestock. Is that effectively what we're talking about? That's kind of pretty good. I mean, we just keep reusing it every day, you know, <laughs> keep growing more of it and just keep it in a cycle. <laughs> That's that is the way to do it. Keep growing more of it. it's the name of the game. And so as we look explore this circular bioeconomy and how how corn and other biomass fits into it, Sarah, I'm curious about the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference. I understand you and Denny had the chance to go. What is it? Yeah, so ABLC, um, so Advanced uh, Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, is a conference that's held twice a year by Biofuels Digest. Um, they hold the March one in uh, Washington, D.C., and it's a lot more policy-related. And then they hold the fall one in San Francisco, and that's a lot more heavy with the investors, with the industry folks, really uh, on the research and development side. So we've had a, a historical kind of record of attending and sponsoring this event, in particular, a corn to chemicals summit. So Denny and I attended as well as um, with many of our, our industry partners. And we held a panel in particular on uh, a study that we commissioned around um, what a national incentive could look like and how does that resonate with the public. Zenny, you're a farmer going to D.C. to talk about these policy issues. What was the conversation like? I mean, what, were they actually understanding the ag issues at the at the bottom of these things? Well, some of it is, you know, it's just like 
they're trying to find more renewable products. And I think corn is a great renewable feedstock for them to use. And we're just trying to work through that. And part of that is making sure they understand the details of the ag industry. Sarah, you mentioned the study that you had performed last year. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you were studying in that corn to chemicals uh, report? Yeah, so in the Corona Chemical Summit, we really focused, the panel focused on um, the morning consult results, which was a study aimed to really measure the public's perception around industrial biotechnology. So we talked about circular economies later, and industrial biotechnology is a way to get to those circular bioeconomies. So essentially using, think, corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. Obviously, we can use other ag feedstocks as well, but our priority at National Corn is on the corn side. So we really <laughs> wanted to measure uh, their attitudes and percept perceptions and perspectives towards a state and national incentive to help facilitate the growth of this industrial biotechnology, i.e. using corn for bio-based products. Denny, I'm curious about your perspective here, the value of corn, sustainability as corn, uh, of corn rather in this industrial uh, environment. How important is this to you or the future of your operation, your farm on the ground there? Well, we, even at home here, we continue to improve our sustainability. I mean, I'm now using a, uh, a biological, reduced my nitrogen use by 20%. So it just continues to improve our, our sustainability efforts here on the farm. That is good to hear. I'm curious, Denny, also about the conversations with attendees at the ABLC conference. When you were talking to folks who weren't from the farm background and they heard that you were a producer of these products for the circular bioeconomy, what was the reception? Were most of them excited to learn more about our industry or were they kind of cold to what ag has to bring to the table? Well, what I was really amazed at was these people, we, how intelligent. <laughs> I mean, I should have paid more uh, attention when I was in school in chemistry, how they can take a corn and break it down and just make so many different things out of it and how these, how these people are so intelligent and how they can come up with this stuff. That is such a great point. The ability to crack a corn kernel just the way we crack a barrel of crude oil to unlock all of these other potential chemistries inside is fascinating. And Sarah, of course, that's sort of the MDAT market development action team's roles, finding new uses for those corn, for that corn. And of course, the Consider Corn Challenge is one way you do that. Have we had the fourth Consider Corn Challenge launched as of yet, Sarah? So our fourth Consider Corn Challenge is actually going to launch um, very soon on April 17th and really exciting um, when it launches on Monday, April 17th, we have increased mm -hmm. the prize pool. So um, instead of $150,000 in prize money, um, Market Development Action Team has allocated up to $250,000 to help advance these technologies. And I think what's really exciting is that, you know, if we take some of the, the previous uh, consider corn challenge winners, you know, if they were to reach full commercialization with products available in the marketplace, you're almost exceeding 3 billion bushels of corn. So while we're not there yet, I think it speaks to a lot of the great opportunity and, and the winning success of these technologies that have been selected and facilitated by the consider corn challenge. And it's really a testament to the challenge's success that all 15 winners of our first three consider corn challenge challenges have been able to stay in production and kind of continue to reach towards commercialization. And that's something that, you know, back to what we were talking about at ABLC and on that corn to chemicals panel, 
people like our Consider Corn Challenge winners and these technologies can benefit from national incentives to help facilitate bio-based products and industrial biotechnology. Sarah, you mentioned the ABLC, this industrial biotechnology. One of the headlines I continue to hear is sustainable aviation fuel. The idea that we're going to take crude oil or at least reduce the amount of crude oil in jet fuel and we're going to replace it with a bio-based alternative. How prominent was that conversation in D.C. at the ABLC? I would say uh, beyond our, our corn to chemicals summit, where we focus more on the product side, a lot of most most of the conversations were around sustainable aviation fuel. But the beauty of it is that as we get uh, more advanced in these new uses and these um, corn fractionation processes, it doesn't have to be uh, food versus feed versus sustainable aviation fuel versus bio-based products versus ethanol. It gets to be an and statement. It gets to be all of the above. And so as we're pursuing sustainable aviation fuel, we can also be working towards these new uses as well as um, continuing to support our current market demand, which is a really exciting um, story and something that, you know, Denny even got to share his perspective about how versatile that corn crop is. And, and he should give himself more credit there on the panel. I mean, he was able to really share and open people's eyes um, up to the sustainability of practices that are already happening on the farm today and and helping them realize too sometimes they want to go after stover for example as a as a feedstock and Danny was able to rein them in a little bit and say actually we really need that stover to stay you know on the um on the land and on the field to help you know capture water to help prevent erosion and so Jenny I give you a lot of credit for really kind of reining them in on some of that and saying hey why don't you focus on the corn grain well, yeah, you talk about sustainable aviation fuel, and we continue to grow, just say our trend line yields, we end up with uh, like 300 extra million bushels of corn, you convert that into ethanol and then into sustainable aviation fuel, we can supply like 500 million gallon of SAF in, by the year, uh, in, in 20 years in that. So we just need to keep uh, finding new homes, new uses. For, for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Absolutely. And you heard Sarah mention it, folks. Consider Corn Challenge will award a quarter of a million dollars in this latest challenge to help find those new uses for corn. Sarah, where can folks go to keep up with the Consider Corn Challenge when it launches? Absolutely. Um, they can look up uh, National Corn Growers Consider Corn Challenge at www.ncga.com slash Consider Corn Challenge. Well, folks, this was April's monthly grind. We had that conversation with Sarah McKay, director of the market development team there at National Corn, and Denny Vinacotter, vice chair of the market development action team. Denny and Sarah, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And folks, stay with us. We'll talk with Dr. Pat Westhoff of FAPRI here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what is going on here in this market trade, we did start off with more risk-off pressure throughout the grain and oilseed markets, but we are rebounding a bit. Cord beans trading right around unchanged. The wheat market has come off of its lows as well, and we see the livestock trade cattle are mixed to slightly higher hogs. Under pressure in the deferreds with front month April, maybe a bit of a technical bounce there after setting another new contract low yesterday. Stock market relatively quiet. Crude oil's down about 50 cents a barrel, still hovering around that $80 mark here in WTI futures. And just really watching things as we move forward here, we see that there's a, a lot of the recession fear is in this trade that started yesterday with the jobs report and the factory orders report that was lower than expected, but also funds just taking profits on some of the recent rallies here in the grain trade, all of that kind of combining in to give us that risk-off tone throughout the market trade. That seems to be easing a little bit here today, but again, we're watching things very closely. The dollar trading around 101. Uh, we see that there's just going to be a lot of uneasiness here in this trade with the recession fears out there from funds and negative money flow could be issues. Geopolitical risks with China are increasing as well. The weather outlook for Brazil remains good for its safrita corn crop. Argentine drought is old news. And furthermore, a warm-up is expected to start melting snow in the U.S. northern plains here in the next uh, 6 to 10-day forecast. So a lot of things we're watching very closely throughout this market trade. Overall, again, corn, soybeans mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Wheat anywhere from about four to seven lower this hour. Cattle mixed to higher with hogs under pressure outside of front month April up slightly. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. You know, since 2020, the global agriculture industry has been rocked 
by one thing after another. First, it was COVID. Then it was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Then it was $6 diesel fuel, and it was $1,300 fertilizer prices. It has been everywhere. As 2023 gets started, the folks at the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri took a breath, and they've recently released their 10-year baseline projections for the U.S. ag markets. After several years of volatility, what potentially could the next 10 years look like? Well, joining us now to run down those details is Dr. Pat Westhoff. He serves as the Howard Cowden Professor of Ag Economics at the University of Missouri, and he serves as the Director of FAPRI there at Mizzou. Dr. Westhoff, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity today, Mike. It seems to me the big question after a couple years of record or near record prices in row crop agriculture, Dr. Westhoff, it sounds like the the downturn is coming. Is that an accurate way to express the, the results of the outlook? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, more often than not, as we know, when things go up, they tend to come back down. And that's probably the direction we're heading in the months to come. I think it certainly seems as though that is accurate. Let's talk through some of these details here of the Ag Outlook. Dr. Westhoff, when your team is putting this together, what all do you folks look at? How do you come up with all of this data mapping 10 years of potential profitability in agriculture? So we try to look at uh, where markets are at the given time. We do the work and we started this work back in January. Uh, we have it reviewed by some folks on the outside to give us some comments, let us know where we're off base. And then, of course, we use our judgment and our models to try to come up with these projections for the next 10 years. All right. And let's dive into those projections. I know specifically on the report, you were involved in both the crop and the biofuel and the government costs uh, reports. So let's dive into biofuels right off the bat, Dr. Westhoff, if we can. We saw 2022 be a tremendous year of consumption for E15. A lot of new consumers were introduced to the product. Does that bode well for biofuels looking out over the next 10 years? Yeah, there's definitely the potential to see an increase in E15 use across time. We we expect, in fact, um, that E15 and their higher level blends would be a, a greater share of the overall use of ethanol over the next decade than they've been. Of course, the offsetting effect is that we probably have fewer miles driven longer term uh, with uh, gasoline power vehicles if we have more EVs on the road eventually. That's true. And do you think that will have an impact in this 10-year time frame? Or is the EV rollout going to going to impact ethanol demand in that window? It probably doesn't have a huge impact, especially after the next several years. Uh, but once you get five to 10 years down the road, it starts to become at least a small factor in the market. Okay. All right. So when we're thinking biofuels, of course, Dr. Westhoff, we've got a couple of different branches of that biofuel tree. We've got the corn-based ethanol. We've got the soy-based biodiesel. And of course, we've got renewable biodiesel, including soy and other topics. Of those different components, which has the brightest outlook for the 10-year uh, report? Well, we've definitely seen a huge expansion in capacity of renewable diesel, a lot more planned uh, to come on board in the not too distant future. We actually expect that the production of renewable diesel will surpass out of conventional biodiesel uh, within a year or two's time here, if it hasn't already uh, in 2023. Uh, one of the big question marks, of course, is where we go on the policy front. Will the renewable fuel standard, will the California policies continue to be consistent with that expansion of that industry? And Dr. Westhoff, as you think about the expansion of renewable diesel, because it does include tallows and other non-soybean-based uh, uh, components of that renewable biodiesel, do you still anticipate the impact of that industry being mostly on the soy side over the next 10 years? We actually have, um, I think it's more than half, in fact, of the overall uh, increase that we expect in front of us to come from feedstocks other than soybean oil. So soybean oil is, yes, a very, very important part of the mix. But yes, the tallows, the uh, other vegetable oils, for that matter, are a noticeable share as well. 
Okay, so we could expect to see that continue to climb on the corn ethanol front, Dr. Westoff. That's the side you think E15 has some more potential for growth. Is that long term? It definitely has potential. And again, that's where policies will be very critical. If, if we have policies that, that uh, uh, both require uh, increased use of biofuels overall and then make it easier for people to use biofuels uh, like, like E15 year-round, that'll make a big difference, of course, as well. That certainly makes sense. The policy issue is going to be a huge one over these next 10 years. But I'd like to bring the focus uh, away from biofuels back to row crop agriculture. We have seen an incredible jump in commodity prices in the futures markets and in the cash trade. Dr. Westhoff, the concern, of course, in the markets is reversion to the mean. The idea that we're going to move away from these record highs and drop back down to a level over the next couple of years. What's your anticipation for corn price at the farm? Yeah, we're looking at a projected price for the crop we harvest this fall, about 532 a bushel for corn. So that's down from over 660 a bushel for the crop we, we harvested in 2022. Uh, yes, reversion of the mean is a good way of summarizing the story. When we had uh, a, a below normal yields in this country, we had the war in Ukraine uh, disrupting supplies from that part of the world. You know, those, those factors all reduced supplies in global markets and pushed up prices. If we have a more normal crop in 2023, we'd expect to see prices come back down again. And so you mentioned that, that 532 looking ahead to the new crop 2023 corn. Look out a little farther, if you would, Dr. Westoff. Does that downward slide continue into 2025 and beyond? We do have a, a, a bit of a drop over time. Uh, in fact, dropping all the way to about $4 a bushel by the time you get out to the year 2032. That's, that's farther than any of us want to think about right now, I know. Uh, but there's lots of reasons to think that it's uh, uh, going to be probably uh, not an upward uh, trend on corn prices across time. But it does sound like that 436 potential average over that range would still be a step higher than the average we saw back in, uh, what, 2012 through 2021, wouldn't it? That's right. So that, that'd be a little bit above the average we had before the five years uh, prior to the crop we harvested last year, uh, as we see for some other crops as well. Certainly makes sense. Of this time of year, we're watching that Brazilian soybean crop come onto the market, maybe alleviating some of the concerns of a tight crop in 2023. Let's talk about soybean prices. Dr. Westhoff, where do you see beans going here in this marketing season? So this year, of course, uh, in the, the crop we harvested last year, we've seen some strong prices recently, in part because of, of uh, the, the short crop in, in Argentina this, uh, this year, smaller than anticipated. But for the crop we harvest in 2023, we'd expect to see lower prices, an average of about 12.17 a bushel is our projection. And then again, that ongoing slide as you look out longer term? That's right. So our average over the next decades, uh, just a shy, a little bit under $11 a bushel. That is still a bit higher than we were uh, between 2017 and 2021, but obviously far off the, the levels we've gotten used to over the last year or two. Yes, that is true. It, it is uh, it is a big drop from what we're looking at in the board today, but I want to turn the focus to a couple of other crops that, that are uh, hotly discussed right now, wheat acreage in particular. We've seen wheat acres continue to drop across this country. Is there going to be incentive for growers to get back into the wheat business over the next 10 years here, uh, Dr. Westhoff? Well, in the near term, yes. I mean, we, are, we do see an uptake in winter wheat acres, obviously, for the for the crop we'll harvest in 2023, uh, based on USDA's report and our own projections as well. So that should be able to result in some reduction, resumption of meat wheat supplies this year. Uh, provided we're able to get a decent crop in spite of the weather concerns we've had. Uh, looking ahead, we do expect the wheat acres to, to probably resume a bit of a downward trend, but not terribly dramatic. So just a slight uh, drop off from the 2023 level as we go uh, forward in time. 
And you mentioned that's if we get a decent crop. That's true in all these commodities that we've gotten. Getting that decent crop a lot of times depends on what we put into that crop in order to get it to grow production expenses. They've been skyrocketing for the past three years. Is there hope out there for growers to see those maybe take a step back? We have seen input prices for fertilizer, for fuel, and a number of other inputs uh, come off their peaks of last year uh, in recent months. We do think that for the crop that was planted in 2023, it'll be about the same overall uh, production expenses as for the crop planted in 2022. As we look forward, though, uh, we do expect to see further reductions in fertilizer prices as long as we don't have some new disruption in our national energy markets. So as long as we don't have a new disruption, that is a, a pretty big wish list right there, given the last couple of years. Dr. Westhoff, we're in a farm bill year. We are talking spending on agriculture. What do you expect to see? And I know we're where it's under discussion as of now, but what's the sense of expenditures from the government in agriculture here over the next decade? So, you know, we had four years of very high expenditures on farm-related programs because of special things like the market facilitation program and the coronavirus food assistance program. Those programs have now run their course, and we expect to see much more, low, much lower levels of spending in fiscal years 2024 and 2025. Uh, we won't have much spending under the agricultural risk coverage program under the, or the price loss coverage program in the next couple of years. However, once we get past those couple of years with lower prices projected, and with uh, the special clauses that make a future level support tied to moving averages of market prices, we could see a, a resumed uptick in, in federal support from those basic commodity programs in, in crop years 2026 and 2027. Sure. With prices down, that's when that spending goes up if the programs are working. Dr. Westhoff, before we let you go, we've been talking a lot about grains and oil seeds here, but you also covered livestock in the report. Can you give us the general sense for proteins, livestock, dairy, bullish picture, or is it starting to slow down? It's a bit of both. So on the uh, the uh, side of, of dairy, on the side of uh, poultry, and on pork, we do expect to see lower prices in 2023. Uh, obviously, we had the uh, avian influenza was a huge disruptor for poultry markets last year, assuming we're able to get them more or less under control. We don't expect it to go away, but at least not as severe an issue on the market as it was last year. We should see lower egg prices and lower prices for uh, all the major poultry uh, items. The exception to this rule, of course, is cattle. With um, uh, reduced cattle numbers out there, there's, fewer, there's less beef going being produced, and that, that lower level production should result in higher prices, provided we don't have uh, some major disruption in demand. Absolutely. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Pat Westhoff of the University of Missouri's uh, FAPRI. And Dr. Westhoff, for folks who want to read this report, where can they go for more information? Sure. Go to our website. That's uh, FAPRI, F-A-P-R-I. Missouri.edu, and uh, you'll, you'll find a link to the report there and also some supporting materials that give you detailed spreadsheets with lots of numbers in Absolutely. Ton of information there, folks. Check that out. Our thanks to Dr. Westhoff at FAPRI. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity today. And folks, stick around. We'll dive into that cattle and hog market next with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. 
you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol called E15 is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. 
During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to keep our focus on the livestock sector here for this final segment of today's AOA. We're joined next by Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Good morning. You know, last week we had the chance to talk late in the week and you were gearing up for the release of the March or the quarterly Hogs and Pigs report. Dennis, that came out on March 30th. You've had a chance to dig into some of the numbers and what surprised you on this most recent government update? Well, I was surprised that there's uh, no contraction in the industry. So the contraction has pretty much run its course as far as the hog industry. Uh, hog numbers peaked in 2019. Uh, they've been trading downward. You might say, Mike, it appears that all the inefficient producers are out of the business, out of the market. Everyone else that's left standing is in it for the long haul and uh, they're not getting out. Also on the report, in disappointing fashion, was a 1.8% uh, upward revision in the December numbers. So the December report was just flat out wrong. They revised the numbers up almost 2%. Uh, so it looks like we'll be running more hogs, just slightly more hogs than last year, say for the next three to six months, and that is a disappointment. Dennis, thinking back to that update on the December report, was the USDA able to catch up to some herd expansion that has happened, or did they just simply miscount the pigs back in December? Yeah, they just missed it uh, for, for whatever reason on the survey. They, they just simply uh, um, undercounted the hogs and, and misreported. And, then, and, of course, they go back uh, using the actual slaughter and make a revision. Uh, we were uh, sort of hopeful that the, uh, the the excessive supply of hogs that we were running in January and February was due to backed up hogs over the holidays. But uh, this uh, March hog and pig proves that uh, that was really not the case. Uh, we're just going to be dealing and processing slightly more hogs this year than what we had last year. Dennis, with all of this being the case, the market has now had a couple of days to digest the H&P report. We've got that December revision now under our belt. Where does this change lean hog pricing at the CME for you? Does this does this bring it down? I mean, should we be consistently in the 80s now? Yeah, the market uh, is, uh, is not doing well. Uh, it's in a real bearish uh, mode right now. Uh, demand for pork is not good right now. And that's uh, that's difficult to understand given how strong 
demand is for U.S. beef. But the reality is the retailers are not promoting pork aggressively, and and they have an awful lot to do with, with consumption domestically. At the same time, exports have not been strong. So you've got a very strange situation with low unemployment, but we still have a not good demand for pork in the face of what is proving to be red-hot demand for beef. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I wanted to circle back, if we could, Dennis, to the idea of expansion. You mentioned that by now, after the last couple of years, a lot of the inefficient producers have probably moved on to other avenues of earning an income. For those folks that are left, the efficient producers who have maximized those economies of scale, are we hearing about expansion in this environment or are construction costs keeping the brakes on that? Yeah, it's it's Mason. What we believe is it'll just be a, a very stable situation. Uh, uh, expansion is limited now by so many things: uh, uh, the persistent disease problems, uh, high uh, 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 costs for building, uh, steel prices. You know, building materials, uh, construction of new barns. It's extremely expensive. Interest rates now. So we're looking at a very stable situation as far as the hog herd. All right. We'll watch that stability on the hog herd. See how that demand can pick up as we get into the summer months. While we've got you on the line, though, Dennis, I want to turn our focus over to the cattle market. We've got a little bit of our rally happening today in live cattle. We've got all the nearby contracts back up over 160. Do you have a price target in your head here for the near term on this live cattle market? I don't have a price target in mind. It's being drug higher by the cash steer market, and cash steers, of course, took a big jump last week. We think the cash market will be higher again this week. It's sort of gotten away from the packer finally. Uh, we, we are into a downward correction. We were lower both Monday and Tuesday of this week, uh, but the market's uh, snapping back nicely today. I do not have upside targets, but... Uh, you know, we're discount to the cash. Uh, the, this futures board, in my opinion, is undervalued. Have we seen any cash trade develop as of yet on this week here, Dennis? We have only about 70 head in Iowa at 170, and that's the only cash activity I have for the week. Uh, asking prices are really uh, higher than that, say 172 in the north. 169 in the south and uh, it looks like they should be able to get the asking price we'll see oh man where was cash trading last week dennis were we at 162 uh we had uh, in the cash market uh we finished out at 168 in the southern plains most of the trade occurred at 167 in the south and anywhere from uh, 168 to 171 in the north all right, Dennis, as we get into the, out of this week and into this next week, are there any other data dumps that you're going to be watching that could move these livestock markets? Well, uh, just sticking with the beef, you want to watch the wholesale beef, which is uh, forming a bottom on a seasonal. That beef has been very strong. Friday, Monday, Tuesday, choice beef has been sharply higher. So the beef market's starting to attract uh, springtime demand. And That'll also be the driving force, keeping packer margins are profitable. All right, getting that grill cleaned up. We can throw some of that great beef on the grill, folks. We've been talking to Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. 
And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA. We're going to talk with Jim McCormick, and we're going to talk with Patrick Surpass about the renewable biogas industry and what that policy looks like in the year ahead. Tune in tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.